It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, boys down with the traitor, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of freedom. Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law on KNews FM 98.5. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases, and it has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances. And I've been honored to repeatedly serve as Superior Court Special Master. You will hear from office holders, lawyers, and activists on this show. Last week, I spoke with Jerry Flanagan of Consumer Watchdog, who told us about Consumer Watchdog's Government Transparency Act ballot initiative. If adopted by voters on November 5, 2024, the Government Transparency Act will give every citizen swift access to city, county, district, and state records that are now hidden from public view. And... I had fellow election law lawyer Mike Nolan discuss other ballot measures coming up for your vote at the November 5th, 2024 election. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interviews at knews985.com. Today, I am pleased to chat in our first hour with lawyer Todd Porter, and he's going to tell us about elder abuse. In fact, that's an area that he covers quite a lot in his practice. He's also an instructor at Cal Poly, and he's going to talk to us about the mock trial program there that he uses to mentor young potential new lawyers. It is a treat in our second hour to have in studio Sarah Twisselman talk about the Central Coast Veterans Museum and your chance to attend the Veterans Museum October 8th Stars and Stripes Dinner Fundraiser. But Todd Porter is here in studio, so let's hear from him about his work on elder abuse. Welcome to the show, Todd. Yeah, thank you for having me, Stuart. Well, now, I, I like our listeners to know a little bit about our guests. And, uh, of course, you have a law office in Morro Bay, which you've had that for a long time out there, haven't you? I've been practicing since, since 1991 in San Luis Obispo County, and I've been uh, in Morro Bay since 2008. Okay. Where where did you go to school? Went to, uh, as an undergraduate at Cal Poly and okay. then went on to uh, law school at the University of the Pacific McGeorge School of Law in Sacramento. Ah, that's, that's a tough school, folks. Uh, they grade on a curve. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did you first come to San Luis Obispo out of uh, law school or did you uh, roust around other places for a little bit? I took a very short detour um, in Fresno, California at a law firm called uh, Baker, Manic and Jensen, which I now refer to as Baker, Manic and Depression. It's a joke. <laughs> um, but but and, and it was only depressing because uh, I was from the coast and wanted to get back to the coast. Uh-huh. So I, I quickly uh, took a pay cut and came back to the central coast and raised my family here, which is, uh, I think, a, a good choice for me. Very good choice. Very good choice. And uh, Well, tell us a little bit about elder abuse law and how, how you got into it and what's the difference between that and some other areas of law, civil law. So 
that I got thrown into a case some time ago in 2012-2013 dealing with the abuse of a dependent adult. And the legislature has passed a statute called a Elder Abuse Dependent Adult Civil Protection Act, or ADAPCA, as, as lawyers who practice in the area. And that the state of California, through, through the legislature, has determined that they are going to protect certain classes of persons. So I litigated this case uh, to a jury verdict along with uh, James Murphy, and we obtained a $7.4 million verdict on behalf of the parents of a dependent adult who was killed through the, um, the abuse of a caregiver. Uh-huh. And so that was my trial of fire, my introduction into ADAPCA. And, and so and from then, I've, I've just developed a, an interest in certain statutory schemes which protect uh, certain protected classes of persons. And so that on that same statutory scheme applies not only to dependent adults, but to um, elderly uh, for the same reasons. So, so if, if someone is dependent, for instance, you can have someone who is, they're not able to function as an adult. And so they're dependent on their parents or society uh, for their care. That, that applies to them. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, there are all kind of statutory definitions, which I you know, are, I'm, I'm okay. not going to be able to recall specifically, but where, where somebody is a dependent on another for their daily living needs, that'd okay. be kind of a general generalization, mm-hmm. then they would, you know, generally be considered a, a dependent adult. You don't have to be dependent at all to classify as an elder. You just have to be 65 years or older. So they, they, they don't make that distinction, but, but both, both classes of persons are, are recognized as needing particular protection mm-hmm. and, and deserving of that protection from various different kinds of predatory behavior. So what kinds of predatory behavior uh, does this statute cover? And and a a wide variety of abuse and neglect, and that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'd like to talk about is, in in particular, is um, financial abuse of Mm -hmm. of the elderly population. It it pertains a little bit to to your practice. It's it's a step beyond those calls that come in that uh, tell me, uh, now that I'm a senior disposition about how I uh, I really need to uh, uh, know that the IRS is coming for me and I, they better uh, I better pay somebody to help me with that problem even though uh, nobody's coming after me. So it, it's it's one of those things, and I, I wrote an article for the Bar Bulletin and, uh, about um, and it's entitled "Taking Up the Cause of Financial Elder Abuse" and "Taking Up the Causes" in quotes because. That is the language the state of California through the legislature has used in the statute, meaning that the abuse and financial abuse of elderly people is such an enormous problem that the criminal system can't adequately address the problem. And so that the state of California has incentivized civil lawyers through a variety of things, including the recovery of attorney's fees, to quote-unquote take up the cause of financial elder abuse. Well, in fact, it, it is a crime. Uh, to defraud elders, it, and the punishments are greater if somebody is more vulnerable, in a more vulnerable situation. But the way the state is uh, remedying this is incentivizing private lawyers to go out and bring these cases uh, civilly. So what kinds of remedies are available if, if you bring these cases? It's often referred to as enhanced remedies. And just before we get into uh, the enhanced remedies, that because you're talking about the abuse of somebody who is dependent, whether a dependent adult or an elder, that it requires a higher standard of proof. Generally, that we in, in civil law are operating off a preponderance of the evidence standard or meaning 
more likely than not. Yeah, but in under ADAPCA, a small exception for financial abuse in a very narrow lane, it's clear and convincing evidence. And that a, uh, in, in proving up the elements of the cause of action, you have to prove them up to that standard and have to prove that the perpetrator acted with what is traditionally the elements of uh, uh, punitive damages, fraud, malice, oppression, but they added in an extra element and they added in recklessness. And that was, um, and that, and what that does, Stuart, is it uh, provides for uh, sometimes the defense of these perpetrators under insurance policy. So it was, that was actually done at the request of, of the defendants, believe it or not, is to include recklessness in there. And, and that way the insurance company can pay if suddenly the uh, perpetrator is uh, an empty pocket. Um, that there's certainly that potential, yeah. and and yeah. and and so that's so we have this elevated standard of proof, and that you know again that um, uh, in terms to back to your question, what are the enhanced remedies? They include attorneys' fees, and so you need to time keep, and you can make an application for attorneys' fees afterward if you're successful. Um, interestingly enough, where you're, you're dealing with uh, somebody, an elder or a dependent adult who has died. There is um, uh, survival action damages, meaning you can recover for pain and suffering up to a statutory amount, which is different than other statutes. And what's the statutory amount limit, the uh, cap? Uh, $250,000 last time I looked. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot like uh, medical malpractice in that regard. It, it is, but it's in addition to everything else. Yeah. And so it's, it's... So you get actual damages uh, for uh, to be... Provided by the perpetrator. For for instance, and when when we were dealing with the death of a dependent adult, mm -hmm. um, it was a wrongful death case brought on, by, on behalf of the parents of the dependent adult. Uh -huh. So they were entitled to all the damages that would be um, in a wrongful death case. Right. Okay. And in addition to that, um, damages for the pain and suffering of uh, their decedent child. And, and it was then, and there was a number attached to that, and then reduced post-trial by the judge to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And in addition to that, attorneys' fees and costs. I and mean, costs are not unusual, but attorneys' fees are different. can be, can yeah. be significant because it's a lot of work to put on a case like that, and investigate it, and work up the witnesses. Uh, folks, you're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We're having a good discussion with lawyer Todd Porter whose office is in Morro Bay, and he is talking to us about elder abuse. Now, um, Todd, one of the things that uh, caught my ear when we were uh, just talking before we got into uh, our discussions for the broadcast today is you were talking about a related statute that had to do with drug dealers. Yes, and so um, uh, the Drug Dealer Liability Act, or sometimes called DDLA, and uh, you guys love these abbreviations. Yeah, you know, you? I mean, it's it's it's, it's hard <laughs> to go around talk, saying um, uh, elder abuse dependent adult civil civil protection act. It's, oh, it's, I understand. It's, it's, it's a you know it's a mouthful, and, and uh, so drug dealer liability act DDLA, and 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 there's and the two statutes are similar in this sense, and I think pertains to your program in, in the sense that you're talking about, or at least at times matters of public policy, right, and policy problems. And how do we address policy problems? And, and the state of state of California, through the legislature, like uh, ADAPCA, 
has passed the Drug Dealer Liability Act under the same idea that, that the criminal system uh, is, is not equipped to deal, to deal with the scope of the harm from illegal drugs in society and, and again has incentivized civil lawyers to bring cases under the Drug Dealer Liability Act and, and under both statutes has um, provided for not only enhanced remedies but enhanced standing, meaning that the, the kinds of people or the types of people or entities that can bring an action under the DDLA, for instance, I mean, it's, it's a little bit bizarre to me, is that um, insurance companies who have paid for the care of victims of, of illegal drugs have standing to bring an action against a drug dealer. Wow. That, that employers have standing to bring a cause of action against a drug dealer because of, of the impact on their business. Parents have the have standing and and so it's this very very expansive list of persons or entities uh, that that can bring these causes of action and so it's well now what what kinds of um, harm will generate that standing Um, death would be probably at the top of the list sure Uh, but in in addition to death maybe something that'd be more common a rehabilitation cost Okay. Um, and, and so cost of medical care, rehabilitation. If um, somebody, uh, well, you know, you and I have to go to these classes on uh, continuing education, and one of them is always uh, every year is about avoiding addiction and sure. drug, drug addiction, alcoholism. Um, most people don't know that lawyers uh, have the highest rate of alcoholism of any vocation. Um, but, and fortunately yeah. we've, we've escaped that, but, uh, I remember one of them where we had a psychiatrist that was talking about crystal meth and the effect of it after about a year of use was permanent psychosis, um, symptoms of schizophrenia and apparently the brain can't come back from that. So... Uh, that would be a tremendous amount of care. Exactly. So you know, that again, you're, uh, I think most most of it is focused on uh, the, the cost of medical care and rehabilitation. But there's mm-hmm. also this very wide lane for what is basically uh, a wrongful death cause of action. Um, again, with it does some very strange things within the statute in terms of uh, presumption of of guilt. Uh, I mean, re- rebuttable presun- presumptions of of responsibility for certain kinds of offenses. Really? It, mm. it's, it's very different. Wow. So uh, basically the uh, plaintiff has to prove that the drugs were dealt. So and no, then, let, can I hit the pause button? Let's, let's talk about can that. Can I hit the pause yeah. button? So I, I, I lecture on, you know, okay. so I, I, I'm, an, I'm a professor at Cal Poly and I, I teach in certain political science classes and, and I, I, I do a lecture on on these two statutory schemes, and one of the my prompts is, "Are you a drug dealer?" I mean, to the students, right? And I'm like, you're like, hold that thought, right? <laughs> hold, hold hold that thought, and 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 so that that mm-hmm. when when you get into the statute, in in terms of uh, who is responsible, it includes somebody that pause gives away their drugs. So if you give away your drugs and somebody has a problem, believe it or not, for the purpose of the statute. You are a drug dealer. Your kindergarten teacher t- teaching you to share didn't 
apply to drugs. That's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, that's right. And, uh, and you know, the, uh, I suppose the defense is going to be, well, I only dealt that, I only gave it to my friend once, and the fact that it suddenly uh, caused this terrible condition of schizophrenia uh, you know, there had to be a build-up to that, but that's not always true, is it? No, so like a, a, a one-time thing, a giveaway. Let's just say, in in terms of a, of a policy problem mm-hmm. in fentanyl, that fentanyl. That, that that one yeah. one person gives away a, a pill to another person, and that person dies. The person that gave that pill to the other person could be held liable under the DDLA. Well, they might be. They might actually be uh, prosecuted for. Homicide. Um, there's several levels of homicide, obviously, but uh, that is uh, if the uh, authorities don't have time to prosecute. This is another avenue civilly, and I, I suppose uh, there would be lawyers who'd wait for the prosecution and then bring the civil case. Um, yeah, and, and I, I haven't done work under the DDLA. Yeah. I, okay. I, I use it uh, along with ADAPCA uh, as as both examples of the legislature in the state of California trying to address public policy problems through uh, statutes mm-hmm. and incentivizing civil lawyers to expand the reach uh, of uh, responsibility. And, and so to me, it's, it's interesting that way. Yeah. Well, now, um, when we're looking at elder abuse, which is related in in the sense that it has some similar aspects to it. What kinds of abuse, besides the financial abuse, have you uh, seen trigger these kinds of cases? Um, well, so can we just talk about financial abuse for a little bit? Sure. Yeah, and and so, because, again, I think it's an enormously important mm-hmm. uh, problem, and, and that in terms of are there a, statistics a, that tell us how how enormous this problem is? Again, there are. So one of the drivers as a public policy problem is the expansion of the elderly population, meaning we are an uh, an aging population. Not only so the numbers are eye popping, not only in terms of of millions of persons, but in terms of percentages. So let me just hit you with a couple numbers. So if you just were to deal with the uh, age group of 65 and older in uh, 1960, that would have been 9.2% of the population, or uh-huh. 6.6 million people. And as we get to 2050, and you know we may see that, um, it would be 88 million people and almost 20% of the population. And so that that the point being is that um, that there are so many more persons in the United States of America that are going to become more vulnerable, um, and, and it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, one aspect of it. And then in terms of how I've kind of divided up the, the kinds of financial harm, uh, and just in my own mind and in my article, is one you sort of dealing with um, Contracts, commercial contracts, where certain business entities will target elderly p- persons with home improvement contracts, reverse mortgages, various different things that are very targeted uh, and that are, are kind of nefarious in, in the way that they are are, uh, are marketed. And then you get into, um, I mean, leave the hardest for last. Uh, you, you, you're dealing with what I would say are clearly 
persons outside the family and outside the circle of trust, which will target elderly people and steal money from them in various different transactions. Sometimes they're hired care providers. Sometimes they're just uh, someone who starts to uh, befriend the elderly person. And, and so let's just hit the pause button there. I'll give you one, one example of that. And in terms of, of there was a, uh, um, a case that I did some time ago. I'm not going to mention names or anything like sure. that. But it was a, a woman in her 90s who uh, um, had dementia and that a, a neighbor realtor had befriended her. And, and this woman didn't have any close family. And that he, he found a very creative way to, to, to steal from her. So she had a home that was paid for that was worth over a million dollars and he sold it to himself for half of market value all right and, and it gets better it gets better uh, I'm, uh, I'm i'm waiting i'm on pins and needles here uh, right and th- this is back <laughs> and so at this at the time of this interest rates are what they are today so right. uh-huh. so and and so uh no money down loan um two percent which was about you know five or six points under market, and, and this is the kicker. What, what do you think the term of the loan was, Stuart? I would imagine it was a century. So wow, you you get an A plus. <laughs> it, it was it was eighty four years. It was eighty four years, and he, he amortized it out so it came out to fifteen hundred dollars a month. Oh my! And so that was that was an example of somebody being creative, uh, and of course that was unwound. That was unwound. Um, and, and so that would be one example. Um, and then of course, you know, sometimes people do, you know, they just, they just steal things, right? They'll transfer property, take over bank accounts, those kinds of things. Get the car put in their name. Right. Um, well, we're coming up pretty soon on a hard break here. We're going to have news folks coming up. Folks, you're listening to Todd Porter here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law. And we're talking about elder abuse, and right after the news, we're going to keep talking about elder abuse. Uh, We are going to get a little bit into the Cal Poly Mock Trial Program. But if you'd like to hear this program, you can hear it as a podcast worldwide at knews985.com. We stream live at knews985.com, and we'll be back right after this news break. 